Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of the Local New York Podcast. This is episode four of Conversations of the Palace, and in this one, I'm talking with Dan and Teresa Seeley from Diamond Catering and the Cider Mill. Uh, you know, I, I, I always say it's a special episode. It's my favorite. I loved having this guest on, and, and that's always true. I mean, it means I have 120 or 40 favorite episodes, but it really is hard to choose which of these six episodes was my favorite, but I'm recording this intro moments having just finished editing this ep- this podcast, this conversation, and I got to say, I really loved listening back to it. I usually don't enjoy listening back to my old podcast. That's why I don't edit them on, on the normal podcast. Um, I don't edit anything out. They just, they get uploaded. And that's why sometimes I get in trouble for saying things that I shouldn't have said on the podcast. But uh, but these episodes from the Palace were editing down because I'm trying to make them a little bit more polished. So I'm being forced to now re-listen to the conversations I've had with these guests. And, you know, I'm sure most of you who have had to listen to yourself uh, have you know on recording uh, before can say you know uh, just, it's like wow I sound like an idiot a lot of times. I loved listening back to this conversation with Dan and Teresa. You know they remind they, they don't remind me they are just old school old soul food service restaurant owners uh, who are a rare breed because they are also doing really wonderful, amazing things uh, in food service. And that's why I had them on. You know, it's funny, you know, you'll hear in the in the conversation, the story that they have of feeding, you know, these towns of, you know, had 10,000 people and, and catering this massive meal for them. So you're going to hear about that story in the podcast. Um but even before, I, I had no idea that they had done that when I asked them to come on. I asked them to come on the podcast on these shows because, as you know, as we've talked about, Conversations at the Palace is, you know, it all came about. I, I was at the Palace Theater. I had an idea. It would be really cool to film a podcast here. I should do that someday. And when I reached out to the Palace and they cut, cut us a massive deal on renting the space out. And then it just everything just kind of started to you know fall into motion. I mean, it was like I contacted the palace; they cut me a deal on the price to rent the theater out for the day. And then at the same time, on Instagram, I was doing an Instagram story asking for recommendations for podcast guests, and the you you know the people on Instagram were recommending all these like superstars in the industry that I'm like I'm never going to get them on a regular podcast and. Uh, so as I'm getting these recommendations and tagging them and the palace, I'm like, I should do this series. We should do conversations of the palace, and and I'll get some of the most influential or impactful people in the restaurant scene, in my opinion, to come down. We'll do six episodes. So that's what we did. We hired a film crew. We hired an audio guy. We had production assistants. We got sponsorships. It was a really big deal, um, and so. That's why I had Dan and Teresa on because in my and from my perspective, from my viewpoint, Dan and Teresa and everything they've done at the uh, at the cider mill and at Diamond Catering have just played a massive impact in and not only our food scene and our food culture here today and over the past you know however many years, but they will in the future for you know probably years and years and years to come. Even after they're out of the business, 
it will still have been such a big impact they left. I mean, forget the fact of, you know, the story I just mentioned, but forget the fact that they've um, been a part of so many, I'm sure, of your special occasions and moments in life with, with their catering, but also the fact that they were selected from, you know, a number of restaurants in the area that they could have for Chef Ambrell's wedding to cater that way. That's a big deal. And um, anyways, enough rambling about them. I, I love these two people. I'm so thrilled to have met them and to, you know, I've met, I've, you know, I'm so thrilled to have had them on, on for this episode. It was such a big deal for me. And uh, just one of those conversations, it, it just like it builds you up. You know, you, you, you leave talking with somebody and you just feel like energized and like, oh, yeah, I feel excited. Like, I, I've got an idea. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to, you know, that's how I felt with them. Um, anyways, great people, great human beings. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I'm so thrilled that people like this exist in Syracuse. I've been getting a little flack lately from one of my podcasts I put out recently where I just was kind of bumming hard on the food scene here in, in Syracuse in central New York. And while my viewpoints have not changed on that, um, when I, when I, think about when I see what they're doing, people like Dan and Teresa. Um, I just left the brasserie today and, uh, you know, see the things that they're doing over there, um, you know, constantly coming up with new things to bring customers in and make their customers excited about what they're doing. Um, and there's so many more places. I, I know there's places I, I know of, I, I'm not thinking of in places that I don't even know about. And I know that they're doing cool things, but um, I just want to say, I love Syracuse. I love Central New York. I love New York State. Um, you know, I especially love Central New York because, well, for I don't need to bore you with all the reasons why I love Central New York, but I love Central New York. It's home. I could have. I've lived in plenty of better places, and uh, I've lived in plenty of worse places, and I still chose to come back here. And uh, I definitely have a, a massive uh, passion for uh, the food scene here, and for especially the restaurant owners in our community. That's that's why Eat Local New York exists. It's it's to help strengthen, support the local restaurant scene, um, and specifically, really specifically, the owners, uh, to help them get more customers in their doors and to help get the word out about them and and shine a light on the cool stuff that's happening in, in our area. So, uh, yeah. Well, with that, let's get into this week's episode. It's my conversation Conversations of Palace with Dan and Teresa Seely. Dan and Teresa Seely, thanks for coming down. You, uh, we had our first. I had the. Uh, I, I've had two successful events at Eat Local New York in the last six years, and the first one was at the Cider Mill. So what I learned from that was because it was. I remember you know, we. I remember waking up and reading on Syracuse.com. It was when they reported it, I don't know if it was right after it happened, but when they reported, um, you know, you guys had that employee that, you know, had stolen a bunch of money, right? And so yeah. um, when I read that, I was like, oh, I, I should try and do something, you know, to help them out. And so we were doing like monthly sort of dinners at the time. And um, I had the uh, uh, meetup group. We had started like a dining club. And every time that we did a dinner, it was me and then like 15 to 20 um, 
70 to 80 year old <laughs> divorcees or widows that showed up to these dinners. Oh, Jesus. And that was it. For some reason, that was just the group that did it. And um, so I was like, all right, well, I'll take the group to the cider mill. And so, but I also put it out on Facebook for that time. And when I did it, it was like, I think I titled it instead of like eat local New York dinner. I did like help support the cider mill, eat local New York dinner. And we had a you know, like 80, 90 people show up that night for dinner. It was amazing. Yeah, it was it a great was, night. It was yeah. awesome. It was a great night. It was a great turnout. Good, good, uh, good show of support, you know, yeah. on, on all sides. So, yeah, I had, we had our group of the 70 to 85 year old, you know, <laughs> women and myself in the, <laughs> in the private dining room. And, you know, it was a great time. That was early on for us. So like, you know, I mean, that was in the beginning of our growth stages of trying to put that thing together organically. And that's, mm -hmm kind of what started getting us out there, you know, things like that. That's what started getting it out there because we really have never advertised. Yeah. Other than social media. Yeah. So. And you don't even do much there, which is, I, I honestly love. Um, I've talked to a couple people recently about that, and it's amazing to see restaurants that are busy and successful that are doing something uh, unique and extremely well, which I would put the cider mill in both of those categories and uh, who doesn't do, isn't on Facebook every single day with a new cooking video or running this ad or that ad. Um, I love seeing a local business that has a great following, does a great job and doesn't have to market themselves too much. It's funny when, you say, when you're saying that, what it reminds me of is, um, you know, our, our parent company is Diamond Catering, right? Yeah. That's what that's what we started that's as. That's exactly like we what were, I was thinking. We were caterers first, and um, before, like where Syracuse Eats and all this other stuff came out, everyone went to TripAdvisor, right? Okay. That's where all the reviews were. Huh. We, Diamond Catering was the number one rated restaurant. We weren't a restaurant; hmm. we were a caterer. But we had so many reviews hmm. from what we did as caterers that it created a stir for restaurants here local. And wow. I think some people, I don't know who or whatever, but like somebody complained that why is a caterer at the restaurant, <laughs> you know, the number one restaurant in Syracuse when they don't have a restaurant. So they kicked us off. They kicked all of our reviews off. Really? We asked if we could at least have it for our website. Um, but then we started talking like, maybe we should open a restaurant. Maybe we should, wow. you know, kind of crawl into that arena. And that's kind of what pushed us into getting the cider mill up hmm. and running. You know, we had all that square footage, not really producing anything to pay for it. Yeah. And the catering was doing all that work. So um, that's kind of how hmm. the cider yeah. mill evolved. But the same philosoph philosophy applies that we, we never really advertised yeah. with the catering company either. We always um, thought that the reputation and the word of mouth was more valuable hmm. than then are saying we're great. Yeah, we yeah. do a good job. We wanted other people to say that for us yeah. because, you know, people believe their their neighbors more yeah. than you know what, than what a, we would say about ourselves. So it's, it's a painful process though because we <laughs> we would have nights of you know, fifteen, eighteen, twenty covers, mm. and with it growing organically, it you know like you know kind of embarrassing. Like other restaurateurs or chef friends would come in and. You know, we have two or three tables in there, and it's like, you know, off night tonight, and like, yeah, you know, it's kind of slow. It's But that growth, you know, riding it out was probably the hardest part, you know what I mean? Getting yeah. it to that point, and now it's just, a, yeah. it's kind of a beast, you but know what I mean? But also, at the very, very beginning, before we bought the building, we didn't have a bar. Oh, yeah. okay. Wow. So, 
things changed significantly. After we purchased the building, we were able to, to put a bar in. Oh, that's wild. And that was a, a real catalyst. There was never a liquor license on the property. Yeah. Mm. So that was a big, yeah. that was a big hurdle. That's a process. Yeah. 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 Especially town of Onondaga, neighborhood, yeah. changes, right. you know, variants. Yeah. A lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. It's amazing how much, you know, that that liquor license and the ability to have, you know, beer, wine, cocktails affects business for a restaurant. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, obviously margins in those categories, but, you know, there's so many people who I talk to who have opened a restaurant and they're, you know, kind of successful. But, you know, once they get that liquor license, it's just it's night and day for them. It definitely gives you that margin. It gives you some room. You know what I mean? Especially, I mean, right now, my God, with food costs and the oh, way everything yeah. is, I mean, not having that extra piece. I don't know someone, how someone operates without it, you know? Yeah. Mm. They, they say uh, we did BYO for a while, which apparently is illegal, right? Oh, really? I mean, that's what they, but people still do it. Like, they, yeah. I mean, you can walk into our restaurant now with, a, with your own bottle, we charge you a corking fee, yeah. but um, I think there's some places that still do BYO, but I don't know how you cover your margins on food costs. I mean, a case of chicken that was 40 bucks is now 80, 90. Yeah. Yeah, it's so nuts. it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's um, what are the ex- what are the reasons that you get from vendors for the the extreme rise in food cost? Uh, what well, labor? Um, yeah, this, driver know, shortages, this processing, supply chain, the labor shortages. Yeah, the typical things that ever. Yeah, saying. we yeah. we say it all the time. Like, man, we if we had any of that wiggle room for error. Yeah. Like we can't make the mistakes with people that come in or. Yeah, we haven't you know, been able to, well, not able to. We haven't changed anything about our promises, our production. Yeah. What we deliver. Right. But everything on the receiving end for us has changed. It's gone through the roof, you know? man. Food cost is ridiculous. How long have you been in the restaurant industry, food service industry? 20 plus years now. Right. You know, we started, you know, as a hobby when we first got married, mm-hmm. which was more than 30 years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it just, <laughs> it, you know, it was it was true love for us, honestly, for what we do, for me wanting to cook. Teresa having this great ability for front of the house and creativity and painting a picture for something. You know, we, we cut our teeth on like weddings, doing really beautiful weddings. Mm-hmm. And uh it's just something that always elevated our emotion to get into, to make something, you know, a perfect experience for somebody. And it just, it evolved, man. And we stayed with it. We, th- we had times where we talked about doing other things or walking away or, but we survived, I guess, you know, we survived all that real hard time. And, you know, now it's, I guess, reaping the rewards of it. Business has been, even with COVID, you know, I tell Bud all the time, like, we, we, we didn't lose any employees. We gained, we added some people, you know. We didn't yeah. lose business. We did more business. So mm-hmm. it's kind of weird for us. But I think, again, it's because we're so involved and we're so hands-on. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, um, it is amazing over the past, you know, two years now, year and a half, how much some businesses, some restaurants have been affected over others. And um, I think, you know, when when things were happening, people were going to two things. They were going to the places that they just knew and trusted the most. Uh, and then they were also going to people who made it 
um, fun and accessible to, you know, support them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Kyle started doing, you know, we were talking about Kyle before we got started. Kyle started, you know, Danny Steaks during the pandemic as a right. way to keep the machine running at Kasai and, um, you know, made it exciting and, you know, switch things up and, you know, got attention to his place that people wanted to go and support, you know, places like yourself, people, you know, they trust, you know, it's like, you know, it's their tried and true experience is the cider mill. And, um, you know, especially in that part of town, I think that's really important where you're at. Um, but, you know, those restaurants did really, really well. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of hardship, but there's a lot of restaurants that did well aside from rising costs and all the other issues, you know, but they just, they got more business during it, you know. You know, everyone said reinvent, right? Like, you know, is that the word? Pivot. Pivot. Yeah. Pivot was the word. Pivoting, you know. So we were pivoting like ballerinas, man. We were all over the place on to-go business. And yeah. we started delivery. Right. You know. Yeah, so you were doing that. You were, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the story that I've heard, and it's probably that asshole sitting out there that told me the story. Uh, but, <laughs> but Bud had told me that, you know, you, you, basically went to your wait staff and said, you know, we, we're not doing dining, but if you want to do delivery, you know, we'll do delivery and you can do it yourself. You know, yeah. you guys can take We gave them all opportunities to make extra dollars, you know. We, yeah. we paid everyone, you know, PPP came out, right? And we used it, we paid everybody. We gave people raises, we, wow. we shared it with our entire organization, therefore not losing anybody yeah. and not worrying about them collecting a stimulus or unemployment or, you know, that type of stuff. I mean, a couple of people had to, right, for whatever their lives were, but um, we we put everything that we got yeah. back into our family business, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And we treat everybody like a family. Yeah. You know, we would do so much for these people because we couldn't do it without them. Yeah, right. So, and I think that turnaround, the results of that for what we do just helped us evolve to get us to where we are today, you know what I mean? Like mm. the, the, it's 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 true what you're seeing with these people with their experience there. They're they're in it for all the right reasons. They all make money, but they love being there. Yeah, you know? and that's huge for us. Yeah, it's huge. So how long have you had the cider mill? I think it's like seven years. Okay. Because we opened without a liquor license. Yeah. We had a couple of years of that, which was seasonal. So the cider mill was open when catering was okay slowing down. Yeah. And then in buying the building and putting the liquor license in there, I'd say it's it's probably five solid years now of okay. the, the full-on cider mill. Yeah. You know. So when you first got married and you were kind of getting into catering, was that diamond catering? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've had diamond catering that whole time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we started that in our yeah, garage. We just, um, <laughs> we really were just casually um, producing things for friends hmm. here and there um, and it kind of picked up speed yeah. um, to the extent that someone asked us to cater for their company party hmm. at one point and when they asked us for an invoice we froze like what are we <laughs> going to put at the top of the invoice like we didn't have we didn't have a name yeah so we, <laughs> we had to come up with a company name all of a sudden um and their tax and id number and everything yeah, that goes yeah a business a was business born check um some of dan's old buddies uh you know affectionately called him diamond dan <laughs> um 
<laughs> through his youth. So um, there it was, Diamond Catering. Hmm. It's kind of stuck. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, for a long time, we just, we, uh, we did it as a kind of a side hustle. We yeah. both had other jobs hmm. and we just did it for fun here and there. But it got to a point where our hobby was taking as much time as our full-time jobs. Hmm. But the hobby was, it was, if it was earning money yeah. and it was fun yeah. and so much so that it could replace our full-time jobs. And so we both jumped. We, we just took the leap and um, left our real jobs. Yeah, I mean, how long was it from when you first started Diamond Catering to then when you made the leap to go full-time? That's a good question. That was probably, I don't know, there's probably, we probably had eight or nine years into, into it before we realized it was like we went out and found a building, hmm. you know, like yeah. we realized we've outgrown everything we've done yeah. and we're getting work that was, you know, work that we always dreamed about, you know, kind of like when we started, um, Pascal's yeah. and Karen's were the big, oh, yeah. were the big caterers. So we would go to these like events and see that they're doing them, the Parade of Homes and the M&T, the Jazz Fest and all that stuff. So I think once we got to the point where we went after that work and then got it mm -hmm. and then didn't let go of it. Yeah. We outgrew where we were. We stumbled on the building, on the mill. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was 2003. Know, right. Wow. So got into mm -hmm. the mill. They were, that wasn't for sale at that point. So we leased it for a number of years mm. and then ended up buying it. Yeah. You know, so. How, so that was, a, I mean, because that was a restaurant for a while, correct? Maurice Cider Mill was, it's a, it has so much history there yeah. that uh, for what, how, a hundred years, I mean, um, the original mill burned down. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the Cider Mill property um, goes back into the 1800s. Wow. Before we moved in, it was vacant for a number of years and had transitioned a number of times with mm. um, little restaurants that had come and gone yeah. um, without any success. The Maury's, though, were there for many decades hmm. and had, you know, just um, such a such a following. I mean, they people still come in and and either say they worked for the Maury family hmm. or that they visited and were loyal yeah. patrons of that hmm. of that business. And um, a, a lot of people recall coming to the um, to the Maury establishment and seeing an officer outside directing traffic because it was so popular. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we pay, um, you know, Tribute respect to, to, yeah. to that history with some of our decor and some mm -hmm. of the artifacts that we found in the building, cool. you know. Yeah. They're huge supporters too. The family, all is a huge family. Mr. Maury, the original, um, Gwyn is his name. Uh, he's gonna be 103. Yeah. Holy we, cow. We did his 100th birthday party at the mill. He's, yeah, this week, he turns He is like the biggest fan and has become such a supporter. He's always given us tons of in, intel on the property and hmm. um, really, really cool for him. And it was very important for us to restore that building back to the original red that yeah. it was when they had it. Because when we got it, it was green. Hmm. So we brought it back to that barn red and seeing him 
having him there celebrating his birthday in that building with all of his family and stuff was pretty cool. That's you know? amazing. Pretty cool. I love, love, love seeing restaurants um, grow and see them change. And you all have made so many significant changes, especially over the past two years, from building this gorgeous outdoor dining oh, area, yeah. you know, and then now, you know, you just, you purchased the home, you know, cur- you know, uh, right there at the property. It's just, to me, it's amazing to see a local business that's just expanding their footprint because they're so successful. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've always had our eye on what, what could we do next without, like, like I said early on before we were taping that, opening something else up. Yeah. I mean, we we took a back room in that cider mill that was uh, an unheated garage, made it a beautiful private space. Then mm. we expanded that patio, right? That yeah. gorgeous outdoor patio space. The house next door came up for sale. Being able to get that and secure our investment of what we've put in, but then Teresa, you know, her mind and creativity is what's always put us out there to be a little different. She's like, let's make this an Airbnb and dining privileges at the cider mill. And then we just kept mm. going on cool. different avenues from it. Right. And it just kind of turned into something that we feel is going to be really cool. Like maybe, like I said, some bourbon dinners over there, or real fine mm. wine dinners. And yeah, we just connected the two properties with a beautiful set of stairs. So it's going to be cool. What's your inspiration for coming up? Like, I mean, are you sitting there and it just kind of comes to you one day of thinking like, hey, maybe we should get the house and do this with it? Well, it, it, I mean, as soon as we found out that the, the property was for sale, there was no for sale sign. We, uh, we learned um, from a friend that it was listed hmm. at about four o'clock when we were, we were setting up for the Everson event, a dinner for 400 people, um, like multi-course plated dinner. <laughs> Um, so it was about four o'clock. We're unloading the trucks and we learned the house was for sale and we we're putting the offer in at 10 o'clock the next morning. Hmm. Um, there was no question we, we had to have it because we, you know, we do want to expand that footprint and um, uh, build on what, what we've got there at, at the mill. But... Um, as far as the, the use, we couldn't imagine just, you know, renting it out or, you know, just having it be occupied. It had to be a special purpose. Hmm. So an Airbnb, but with that, you know, let's, let's do a big chill weekend. Let's have a, a couple couples come in and, and give them some uh, great dinner and, you know, wine experience. Yeah. Or let's do a Valentine's meal for two and and bring them room service you know um how much fun we can have with our culinary uh offerings yeah. right next door yeah that's so awesome. yeah nobody's really doing that so i mean there's not much of that around and we have the house behind the the mill too that's we have a caretaker that for the property that lives in that now but hmm. i mean eventually that would be nice to have that as another option because like when graduation weekend parents weekend oh yeah it's mobbed for stuff the restaurant's packed i mean if they had they could stay on property i mean it's just yeah another revenue stream yeah it's amazing yeah um you know it is that like i guess that concept kind of is popping up it's more of an experience with with a lot of these restaurants i think of strigo and baldwinsville is kind of doing that i mean they have it's a winery you know and you know they're they're wine tasting you know room out there but they 
built a house up at the front that they rent out for Airbnbs, mm -hmm. you know? And um, yeah, it's just really cool to see unique things coming to Syracuse and to see something like this that is um, so close to Syracuse that you're expanding, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not 45 minutes away out in the Finger Lakes or anything like that or, you know? Even, even though you can drive up Fay Road and drive right by our place because it's so weird where the way our building is. Yeah. That building was built before everything around the oh, neighbor, you know, the neighbors yeah. who complained when we were going for our variances and stuff behind us, they were like, your house is 40 years old. This is 200. <laughs> you know what I mean? This was here. This was farmland. You know, you built your house around this place. So yeah. it's kind of cool that we are very unique to where we are. Yeah. What is there a side of the business that you like more? Do you like more the restaurant or more the catering? I mean, for me, catering is where my heart is. Uh, I'm, I'm always just, you know, we throw ourselves into a cater and the challenge of like something, the harder it is, the more technical, that's what drives us, right? And then also, to be honest, the revenue is, you know, I mean, the catering company paid all the bills for all the years. If we didn't have the catering company, the cider mill wouldn't be open because mm. we funded it for six yeah, year, five years, five years opening it time. up. You know what I mean? Like wow. Cider Mill wasn't generating enough revenue to pay for anything, you know, yeah. couldn't pay for its own liquor license. So, hmm. I mean, now that's standing on its own, which is tremendous, but um, I think the catering they're, side They're of very it, different, but the, there's are. this adrenaline that they, they each provide that's like just so um, charging. It's so, mm -hmm. yeah. so fun. <laughs> I could not imagine. Uh, catering on the scale that you do. I mean, it, I just, I can't even begin to wrap my head around that. I think, I think that's the evolution of who we are, right? I mean, we, we started this thing. We knew we, we knew we could put a product out and give some service. And I was saying it earlier when we weren't taping, like there's so much that we learned from when we started doing these high-end caters, or even back then, which wasn't really a high-end cater. But we always took on the challenge. A big caterer in Binghamton told us 30 years ago, book it and figure it out. Mm. And we've said that 100,000 times to each other. <laughs> you know, somebody would come in with this request or something or want something, and we're like, book it, let's book it, and we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure out what we have to do. And then that's just kind of evolved into really who we are as a company and we surround ourselves with great people i mean yeah. we've but once we did gander we there there was there's no number we you know thought was too challenging hmm. yeah ten thousand people in another country was without without the without the internet right mm -hmm. we didn't have the sources that we have today for networking if we could network that event today it, we could do it with our eyes closed. Wait, what event is this? Uh, uh, Gratitude for Gander. We went to okay. Gander, Newfoundland, and we fed the entire town of Gander for thanking them for their hospitality on 9-11 when they... Uh... So... <laughs> yeah, it was... So they, they um, when the, when the uh, airports were closed yeah. in America on 9-11, Planes were diverted to Gander, Newfoundland. They had a huge airport yeah. there. Um, and we found out about it, you know, a year after it happened. Yeah. And we didn't feel like that they had received proper thanks because it, it was 
very quiet. Like um, there it wasn't was a lot of what they did. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of press about that. So yeah. Dan said, "Gee, somebody should throw those people a party." Hmm. Well, we did. Um, <laughs> we opened an invitation to the whole town and surrounding communities, which was ten thousand. Is it, was it just, I mean, did you call like the U.S. government and say? We called every, I, we, my, we got a very nice letter from um, George, George Bush's Bush. It's my office. my greatest rejection letter ever. Saying, you know, thanks, but we're, we're not going to help you. It's but, framed in my office. Um, <laughs> and it's on the nicest paper. Um, we, we had some really great volunteers and we took a bus to Toronto and 12 planes, a train, and yeah, <laughs> three yeah. automobiles to get there. Wow, 25 and volunteers with us. And we had some donations. We, I, I, it's a, a very long, complicated story, but when we did that and accomplished it, hmm. the, we felt you know, like there, was, the, there wasn't anything we couldn't the do. The sky was the limit. We, wow. And we had no business taking on such, a, such an endeavor at our stage. Mm. That, was that was our 12th wedding anniversary. And we've been we were 30 just years. Wow. getting started, really. So we had no business taking on such a such a feat. But once we did it, yeah. then we felt like we could do anything. Wow! So yeah. it was it was life it was really the catalyst for that was the life changer. That, if the, that was the one question you had to ask. That was the the game changer when we did that. And it's funny because we came back from that, and I don't know if you remember Lopez Lemong. Yeah. Remember him with the Lost Boys running yeah. and ended up carrying the flag for the Olympics? Yeah. They contacted us and we ended up feeding 2,500 like a week later. Wow. In Tully. So, like, we went from. To send his parents to China. Yeah. Wow. So, to we watch went from 10,000 people coming back to feeding 2,500 and we're like, all right, you know, we can do this. <laughs> I completely forgot about this uh, story until you were just talking about that, but. My sister, who's a traveling minister of all things, used to take these yearly mission trips to Grenada. Mm -hmm. And they would go there and they'd be there for like a week or two. She'd bring a team of people with her. And my brother Gabe was actually a missionary in Grenada for two years right out of high school. And, you know, there was obviously like the five minute conflict in Grenada and, um, and I think the 90s. But there were all of these temporary um, runways built all along the island, you know, and like the op and Grenada is a tiny, tiny mm -hmm. island, but built on the opposite side of the island away from St. George's, which is, you know, the capital and the airport. And to this day, there's still like deserted, complete, I mean, it looks like something out of a movie, you know, half of a, you know, airplane, like a, a you know, Cuban airplane mm -hmm. on this runway that's all destroyed and has vines and, you know, trees and all this stuff growing out of it. And one of the first years that my sister went down there, they decided to throw what they called a love feast for like the island. And I think they had like 500 or a thousand people there, but they wound up, they were like, we're just gonna do a chicken barbecue out here on this runway that used to be occupied, <laughs> like right off to the side was this that. old airplane. And they just, they had music and they just cooked all this food and you know, at first like one or two people came out and then like the whole, you know, town started coming out to it but you know they had to like go around and try and figure out how to get all these chickens you know on in Grenada of all places that's incredible <laughs> yeah I mean, to do this that's challenging in itself right there yeah it's amazing you know people in the restaurant industry especially know how to get stuff done you mm -hmm. know if they're I mean think of like the story we were just talking about off camera Kyle mm -hmm. I mean 
granted he's you know he's you know he's not feeding 10,000 people but mm -hmm. you know he's 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 out of food he's sold out twice he's trying to figure out how to get it and you know through his rep and then call, I mean you're and you're able to go and help him I mean it, it's amazing what restaurant owners can get done when they need to get something done well I mean off topic of the direction we were talking about that guy right there has changed a whole lot for oh yeah our industry and and for who he is and what he does and we've had this conversation very sincerely but bringing this group of us together i mean the threads we have going are incredible yeah. never before never were local restaurants sharing information and important things some personal data things that you know you may keep in your own stable right they're now being used on a daily yeah. for all of us. And we all have become like this unity. It's, it's been tremendous, man. Yeah. I mean, that, I applaud him for that because that was, it's something that's been tremendous for our industry locally. Yeah. You know? The group texts that Bud has um, are phenomenal. And the, the, everyone coming together to help each other out during this pandemic in our industry is absolutely mm -hmm. just astounding. Um, you know, I'm, We've done the marketing for Baldwin's Old Dining Weeks. So this will be the fourth year doing it. And, you know, I was astounded from year one, Baldwinsville, for some reason, has this amazing food scene. I mean, and not just amazing in terms of, like, the diversity but the, and the amount of restaurants that exist, but the business that they all get. I've never mm -hmm. seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. And this tiny, small village. And... They're all working together. They all support one another. I've never seen one of them talk bad about another restaurant, even though they're neighbors and they're pulling the exact same demographic. Yeah, um, it's big. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. And in an industry where you would expect more competition and more trying to go after one another, it's the opposite. Yeah, we, we, we did that as caterers. We became very good friends with Karen, rest in peace. She was a great yeah. lady and somebody that I really admired for the work that she did and the amount of really high-end stuff that she was doing. Um, we would share with her, and I did the same thing with Carnegie while they were still kind of doing that same amount of work, where if we had a client that was talking to all of us, then yeah. we shared some information. You know, we gave them, I'd give Karen my budget numbers like where we were I didn't because mm. I know how hard it is yeah. I don't want to leave something on the table all right you know and and we always say well we're not the cheapest game in town but I didn't want to like I didn't want to give it away but I didn't want if it went somewhere else I didn't want them to yeah not have the opportunity to make what they should make on it so yeah. we've, we've been doing that from the catering side now that the restaurant side the groups are together it's a tremendous bit of unity that Bud's put together it's really it's really cool yeah really really cool uh, Speaking of not the cheapest game in town, I've worked for the cheapest game in town. Uh, yeah. uh, Tiffany's Catering, do you remember oh that? Oh my God. <laughs> Howard. This is Howard, right? Oh my God. You know Howard? Somewhere? Tiffany's Catering, Tiffany's. back in the day? Tiffany's Catering? Yeah. I don't know. Oh man. Oh, I don't know what it is. Benjamin, Howard Benjamin. That dude. Yeah, something else, right? Oh my God. I, did, I was 19 years old. My dad was helping him out by cooking for a couple weddings. And, um, no, I was probably 18 years old, and that summer after high school, I was cooking third shift at Denny's on West Genesee Street. Oh my God! To save enough up enough money to you know move out and go to school, and um, I picked up like a couple serving gigs at these weddings, and one of them was at Lord's Camp, mm -hmm. and really nice wedding. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that they hired Tiffany's, but it was yeah, it looked like a nice wedding, <laughs> and and I was there just to kind of do whatever. 
but I wound up being like the butler, so to speak, for the wedding party. Oh. It was a big wedding party. Yeah. And my sole job was just to make sure that they all had a drink in their hands whenever they wanted one. And uh, that was my, my you, know, it, you know, true to a, you know, a catering business is the one of the bridesmaids got hammered and was trying to kiss me at the end of the night. <laughs> the groomsmen were trying to sneak me shots of Jägermeister throughout oh the entire God. time. <laughs> you know, at 18 years old, running oh, around Lord's Camp, you know, in a, a bow tie, you know, cheap bow tie and cheap mm -hmm. dress shirt. shirt <laughs> Howard had some traction, man. He had the name Tiffany's, which was good. Yeah. And then he had a lot of reviews um, that were like, were they... I don't even remember what platform they were on, but I remember he had so many horrible reviews. And I kept wondering, <laughs> how does he, how does he keep getting work? You know, but he, I guess he hired like salespeople to like cold yes. call, yeah. cold call businesses, and then and he he yeah. burned the bridge and then never right. get the the thing again. You know, the but. book of business that he had alone of like past, you know, just contacts. Yeah, and I mean. I mean, that alone, when he was trying to sell it, I remember my dad was helping him trying to, to sell that business. And I was like, what? Like, who on earth would ever buy that building? Or, you know, and he was like, it's his contacts. It's that book of information he has is worth so much yeah, money. He's burned so many of those I bridges know, right? in that yeah. contact list. That's <laughs> why I don't know what, what that's worth. Yeah, that was, uh, there's something to be said for the down and scrappy catering business. That's a yeah. whole world in and of itself, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we're talking about Karen. Karen came to us, I don't even know how many years ago she wanted it. When she wanted out, she wanted us to buy her business. She saw us growing and starting to take more and more. And she came in and, you know, we signed a, uh, NDA. Yeah. And, disclose some figures and stuff but we were like why do we need to buy our business you know what i mean we're already taking that work yeah and she wanted she wanted an avenue out which yeah. you know yeah. just didn't fit in at that time that's a tough thing that people that a lot of i'm sure many business owners don't have but especially restaurant owners and that's an exit plan mm -hmm. i've always wanted to do a series on how to close a restaurant mm -hmm. you know because so many get into it you know you they get into it with a dream they get in it, you know, they're passionate about it, but they don't know how to get out of it successfully, you know, and a lot of them just kind of close up shop, you know. Um, and, you know, we were, I was actually, I was talking about it with Eric Devendorf earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, that is, there's so much focus and attention on how to get from nothing to something. You know, how do you, you know, how do you be the underdog, right? You know, how do you make your million, you know, how do you, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's so little training and education on what to do once you actually hit that goal, once you attain that level or make that money or whatever the case is. And I've, I've always felt like it's the same way on how to get out of a restaurant, you know. We talk about that, like, what are we going to do? Like, I mean, Liv, our oldest is our general manager in the restaurant. There isn't anyone that's going to step in and take our catering yeah. roles because our catering company is who we are mm -hmm. as individuals and what we create from the culinary aspect and from the experience aspect. I don't know if you can train that. I yeah. don't know. I don't even know if it's tangible that we could sell it. Yeah. You know what I mean? We have a whole lot of tangible things. We have an amazing building, amazing commissary with hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment yeah. that are worth something, but our brand, our, our goodwill, yeah. we might be able to we could peddle it because we have a lot of work, but I don't know if we could, you know, yeah. it's the restaurant. We could, we could turn yeah. that over. 
you know, yeah, hmm. at some point. So what was it like getting the call from Ann Burrell that you were considered or getting the job for, for that wedding? She fielded that call. She can tell you that one, right? When Megan. Um, we, we were asked to put a proposal together. Mm-hmm. Pretty, um, pretty it story. was pretty much a, a blank canvas. Hmm. We really didn't know what to present or, or how. Mm-hmm. Just send her something. Hmm. Um, Italian dinner. We knew hmm. she wanted to see an Italian menu, but not anything to do with a red sauce marinara. Huh. And that was, that was the criteria. Yeah. So um, take, yeah, take, take that, take the, uh, the request from a superstar chef mm-hmm. who her first executive chef job was in Tuscany. <laughs> so she's working in Italy, she's making pastas every day and produce an Italian wedding menu for her. Yeah. Like, like that one took us, that took us a month. Mm-hmm. Hmm. To write that, but yeah. but in exact- twenty nine days of pacing and then one day of writing. <laughs> Put this menu together, but the, the the difference from who we are, like the, I, there was two caterers that they were talking to locally, us and, and Luke from Pure, okay. Luke, who does a great job. We've done events with Luke; he's a great guy. Um, whatever Luke sent out, which we don't know, I'm sure went out a certain way. But mm-hmm. what she sent out to Ann Burrell yeah. was this incredibly beautiful album that you opened up that had a story behind it hmm. and was packaged with Italian chocolates and coffee. And so it was an experience when you opened that. Hmm. So I think she was definitely impressed with that to say, okay, let's do a tasting. Yeah, That's you know, amazing. And then, then we had to make pasta for they had to make pasta dough for, uh, you know, a, a pasta chef, which is, that that shit's intimidating. I bet. That stuff, I don't care. I mean, I would like to feel like I can cook with anybody, but, like, when you're dealing with, like, celebrity, it was a, it was another level of uh, anxiety. You know yeah. what I mean? I thought she was going to be tough. I thought she was going to be bitchy, you yeah. know, like, just based on her personality of, yeah. she was, like, super sweet, hmm. really, really nice really nice and we absolutely crushed the tasting hmm. you know in the middle of dinner service on a friday or saturday <laughs> saturday night <laughs> full restaurant and we did five courses for her in the back room wow so it was we, yeah we did two two separate tastings for her mm-hmm. um, that's amazing but she was great she was great she um she had comments yeah. about what she was experiencing but not critiques hmm. She said, I love the, um, I love the uh, frizzled Brussels sprouts. I'd love a little bit more of them. Hmm. Great idea with the pumpkin seed oil. Yeah. I'd like to see a little bit more of that hmm. or some, you know, things like that. But there was, there wasn't anything negative. She, you yeah. know, she was very, she was very positive. It has to be like it's like the it's like winning the ultimate cooking competition, right? Like my wife right now is obsessed with um, Master Chef, mm-hmm. and you know we've all watched Chopped and Beat Bobby Flay, you know all these different cooking mm-hmm. shows out there, where restaurants are submitting to this panel of judges. But I mean, 
you all. She brought a panel of judges. <laughs> she, <brought a> she <laughs> had an iron chef sitting there tasting it. My bar manager was, was sitting right across from Gornicelli there, and mm. she's an iron chef. And every dish that was put out, he said her fork she times went in it. And she's like, you know, like tasting. I'm like, you know what, man, just enjoy the, it's not a cooking show. Yeah. Just enjoy it. And the menu was Anne's, was, was Amberell's. Yeah. I mean, she essentially, the, the menu created was what we sat down and scratched out, but it was what she wanted. It yeah. wasn't anything that, that we wrote. Mm. It wasn't what we originally presented to her, but yeah. that's what she wanted. We just had to produce it. It's amazing the impact that something like that, I think, uh, probably untold now, but will have an effect on Syracuse for a while for our area. And that is just, you know, I mean, you know, she was on the Rachel Ray show calling you guys out and that talking about how amazing it was. That was huge. And, you know, Syracuse is, I'm sure, I mean, listen, there's decades and decades and decades of amazing food long before I ever thought to think about it. But in the six years I've been doing this, to see how much our local food scene has grown and expanded, not just from the options that are available to people, but the quality of restaurants, the quality of food that's being put out, and the attention that Syracuse is getting uh, based on our locally owned restaurants. It's just amazing. And that's such a, plays such a big role in the attention that our city gets, you know, from, from what you've done. I agree with you more, yeah. sure. Well, Dan and Teresa, thank you so much for coming down and, and being on the show. Thank you. It was you. fun, man. We didn't know what to expect. It was a, it was a lot of fun, you know. I really appreciate uh, being invited to this, especially with a group of others that you're talking to. It's, uh, it's an yeah. honor for us, for sure. Yeah, thank you. All right, thank you. All right, well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. I want to give a huge special shout-out to all of our sponsors, um, uh, and those are Lorenzo's Wholesale Foods. If you're a restaurant owner in Syracuse, consider working with Lorenzo's. They're, I think, the only, I could be wrong, but I think they're the only locally-owned food supplier, wholesale food supplier in our area. Uh, big shout-out to uh, Visit Syracuse. Uh, Liz over at Visit, Visit Syracuse for helping us get um, some money to put this on and hire the film crew. Uh, love what they're doing over there. Trying to shine, They're shining a light on all the cool stuff that's happened in the city of Syracuse. Massive shout-out to everybody's friend, Bud Laura. Yes, this is the most important man in central New York food scene, Bud J. Laura. Henry Laura. I forget your middle name, Bud. But Bud's massively important, and he helped us put this on as well. If you're a restaurant listening to this, make sure that you are working with Bud. All right. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, we're going to see you tomorrow for our conversation with Karen, Rachel, and Ryland from Possibilities. And then the next day with Adam Weitzman. And then the day after that, we're back to the normal podcast conversation I had with David from Peachtree. All right. See you tomorrow. <laughs>